Well, as we preach through the Gospel of John, we come to the most sobering of passages, the passage of Jesus' trial. And you know, last week we talked about God using world systems to fulfill his prophecy. Now, this week we go into a little bit more detail about what those world systems are. In any world system, there is what we call politics. Politics, in the broadest possible sense, is the effort to get your way with popular support. Get your way with the support of other people. That's a political effort, and all of us participate in that. You find politics wherever you go. You find politics at your work. find politics at the church. find politics in your social uh, uh, gatherings. You find politics in your family. Because most people are trying to kind of get their way and get other people to go along with them. And that's a political action. So in one way, it's very normal and very useful. In another way, it's very limiting. And we are seeing tonight the limiting factor. Because what usually happens in politics is it usually comes down to two sides. And the two sides are so intent on winning from one another, so intent on phrasing everything as a political issue, that they miss the truth that's right in front of them. That they are distracted from the profound meaning that is in their midst. That was what was happening with these two sides. As I said last week, Judaism, or the officials of Judaism, represented the world of religion, and, and, they, and they were guarding their interests very closely. And it seemed like they were against the Roman Empire, and they were taking little shots at the Roman Empire, trying to play off the power of the Roman Empire, which is the other side representing world governments. And in the middle was Pilate trying to play politics, trying to get a way that everybody could be satisfied. Now, that is a rough road to go because when you are going through political issues, usually you're not listening to one another. You're just waiting for your turn to talk. And that's exactly what was happening here. When, for example, in verse 3, the soldiers said, Hail, King of the Jews! That was not about Jesus. That was a shot at the Jews. And so it goes. The problem, again, with this is that the most important meaning of life is totally overlooked in the heat of the moment. When emotions run high, the sides seem so clear, but so much is missed. Let me give you a couple of examples. And I've been in hot water all day for this. But I'm going to continue because I'm not always politically correct. You understand we're in an election year. Anybody notice that? And there are two major parties. And these two major parties, understandably, are trying to make their views contrast enough so that they give the voters a clear choice. Now that, again, is normal and probably healthy. What is very limiting and very frustrating about this is that they hone their views down to sound bites. And pretty soon all you're doing is trading sound bites without thinking. For example, I saw both Bush and Gore on Larry King Live. Now, 
I saw Al Gore just a few nights ago, and of course, Larry King Live, being a very good interviewer, and the, and the secret to being an interviewer is always to ask uncomfortable questions. That's not how I do mine, but that's how the media does theirs. And so he said to Gore, what about RU486? For those of you who don't know what that is, that is termed the abortion pill. Coming in the United States, it's just been approved by the FDA. And of course, Al Gore's immediate response was the democratic response. Well, we believe that, that women have a right to choose and, and that that is another um, thing that will facilitate their choice and, and overall it's, it's good for women and their right to choose. And so it was a democratic answer. And you know, I sat there and I thought, of course, that's predictable. But I wonder if anything else ever goes on inside there. I wonder if, if Al Gore thinks, you know, I, I, I really believe that. I, I really believe that little assembly of cells is just that, just a little assembly of cells. I, I really believe it's not a child yet. I really believe that. I have to believe that. Maybe it's what he really does believe. I hope for his sake it is. But what I would long to hear Someday is for someone to say, that's what I hope is true. But you know, Larry, some nights I lie awake and I think to myself, if that really is a child and I am doing anything to help a mother kill her own child, God have mercy on me. You see, the way the system is right now, you don't go that deep. You're just trained to repeat the answers you know. Sometime before that, I saw George Bush on that program. And Larry King said, so what about the tax cuts for the rich? And George Bush immediately gave the Republican answer. Well, you know, if you're going to have tax cuts, you've got to have them for the rich as well as the poor. We have to be just about this whole thing. And I thought to myself, you know, I, I hope he believes that. I really hope that's how he sees it. I hope in his mind he has said to himself, well, if the rich just put it back into circulation, it's better for the whole economy, and eventually that will help the poor too, and, 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 and so the whole thing will be better. But I would love to see sometime someone say, you know, that's what I hope is true, but sometimes I lie awake at night and I think of the single mother trying to raise three kids. And when I think of giving money back to the rich, even though it's their money, when I think it could provide a little bit of relief for that woman, if I think that I'm the one who is promoting that kind of greed, I've just got to say, God have mercy on my soul. You see, politics makes for issues not necessarily truth. And that's exactly what was happening here. The issues were divided. The sides were divided. And they were missing the truth available to them. And not only that, but they were so intent on the procedures for arguing. Do you realize when it said in verse 4, And Pilate came out again and said to them, Do you know how many agains are in this trial process? If you read... All of the accounts in the Gospels of the trial process, you will see Jesus was really on trial five or six times. The issue kept coming back again and again. He was with Annas. 
He was with Caiaphas. He was with Pilate twice. He was with Herod the Great. It kept going back again and again and again. Why? Because no one would make the courageous decision. Pilate knew what was right. He had said several times, I find no guilt in this man. He knew what was right, but he didn't have the guts to do it. Why do you argue about the same things again and again and again and again? I'll tell you why. Because when somebody doesn't have the courage to say, this is what I believe is right and this is what I am doing or this is what we are doing, the only alternative is the political process of trying to find something that appeases everybody, at least for the time being. And I say at least for the time being because it's always for the time being because people always change their mind. And ultimately, nobody's satisfied. John Calvin once said, those who do not have the moral courage to stand steadily and decide on morality are doomed to be tossed to and fro and try to adapt to and adopt changing and conflicting opinions. That, my friends, describes most of our lives. But I've got to ask you this. Is that the way you want to live? Or are there things right in front of you? You know it's right, right now to make that decision. But you're not because you're afraid. You're afraid of the voices that will come in. You're afraid of the accusations. You're afraid of the counterproposals. You see, that's where, that's where Pilate was. Because in Pilate's mind, everybody had been given a little power. He'd been given a lot of power. But that power is counterbalanced when, number one, you get enough voices together to shout the same thing, or the voices are so intense that it escalates what seems to be power. That's, what's hap that's what was happening with Pilate that day. And he believed he had the power. The problem was he didn't differenti differentiate between power and authority. Let me, let, me, let me read this to you. You know, Jesus wouldn't answer him. He said, Pilate therefore said to him, you, don't, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the power to release you and I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me unless it had been given to you from above. Now, some of your versions read authority, and that's the right word. I read power because power was what Pilate was thinking. He was thinking power was the same thing as authority, but it's not. It's not. There are two different words for, for, for uh, uh, power and authority in the Bible. The first one, power, is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. It has no morality attached to it. It's just energy enough to make a difference. The second one, the one that is used here, is exousia. And that is the right or the boundaries that someone with authority gives someone to make a decision and their power cannot exceed those boundaries that they've been given. Now let me tell you how that is comforting to you if you understand that. 
Most of you in your life have tried to do the right before and have been shouted down. Most of you have ideas of what's right and you've been shouted down and you've been intimidated by those ideas. Happens all the time. Just part of life. Happens here at the church. Some of you, some of you got a letter this week. It wasn't a nice letter. It was a nasty letter. It went out to like four or five hundred families. Um, and and that's, I, I realize most of you didn't get it. It's, you're not, it's not a mailing list you want to get on. Um, but there's, but it, it, and it was very accusatory of me, uh, of the leadership in general, and so on and so forth. And I want to address, address it just as a sermon. God's timing on this thing is wonderful. And I want to address it because it fits so well into the sermon. Um, and I want to address it simply because uh, those that didn't get it can learn the principle, and those that did get it probably are so preoccupied with it because it was so nasty that um, you're probably, you probably won't be able to hear a word I say until I say something about the letter. You're going to be saying, is he going to say something about the letter, isn't he, you know? And you're going to, this, this week I was interviewing somebody for the TV program, uh, Wayne Edwards, wonderful guy, and, and, uh, um, and, and he is a part of a, of a sports ministry, a Christian sports league. And so, and, you know, on, on a given Saturday, uh, 1,500 kids from four to eight or something like that play soccer uh, in, a, in a league that really emphasizes more character and sportsmanship and, 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 uh, and skills than winning, you know. So, so anyhow, I, was, you know, I, I went to interview him for the TV show, and, and we always do our shoots on site so that people can get an idea of where people do what they do. So here we are sitting out in the middle of a soccer field, gnats all over, gnats, gnats, gnats. I had just asked Wayne a question, and this gnat landed right here on his lip. Well, of course, I'm sitting three feet from him. I'm just looking at the gnat. And Wayne's just talking. And the gnat's not flying away. The gnat starts crawling toward his nostril. And Wayne's not moving. I keep looking at the gnat. And I'm thinking to myself, is he going to brush the gnat away? Can he not feel that gnat? Will that gnat get in his nostril? He keeps talking. I can't think of anything but the gnat. I'm thinking, can the camera see the gnat? Because if the camera can see the gnat, the audience is not going to be listening to him either. They're going to be so worried about the gnat. They're going to be sitting there thinking, brush the gnat away. Well, those of you who got the letter, the letter just thinking, oh, you know, that's, that's it's analogous. Does he, does he even feel it, you know? Does he know it's there? Brush the net away. So we're going to brush the letter away. I, and I'm not going to address, I'm not gonna address the, the, uh, um, um, the author or the contents. Uh, I always, if you, if you do receive stuff like this, um, you have, uh, you're perfectly smart enough to decide for yourself what's true and what's not. I mean, you have that much discernment, especially in this case. And when you don't, when you do have some trouble and something troubles you, always just whoever's named in there, give them a call or give the elders a call. Give some, but give them a call, chase it down, chase the facts down, and the truth will always set you free. So, but there's, and, and, and so do that with that letter. If you have any doubts, if you, get, if you got it, there's only one person that's not in the community that was named in the letter, and that was my son. One of the accusations... Uh, in the letter was that my son Isaac, who is a, a youth pastor in North Indiana now, um, got his fiance pregnant and had to leave town. Um, just for the record, just for the record, um, they've been married almost a year now, and there's still nothing in the oven. Nothing. 
And Isaac and Rhonda, if, you, if this is the tape you get, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> but, but I just want, I just, because he, he's not around to defend himself, and I felt like I have to defend the honor of his wife, you know, because she's a wonderful girl. But, but when you get letters like this, just chase down the facts and know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because that's all we got. All we got's the truth. The point, though, isn't the author of the letter or the contents of the letter. It isn't even my ministry to you. The point is always your ministry to others. That's the whole point of this church, your ministry to others. And what I'm saying is whenever you try to do others good, you're going to have voices come against you. Whenever you're intent and playing around with the idea of just doing the right thing, you're going to have very intimidating and malicious and accusatory voices. That's just part of the world we live in. There's a law of physics that says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's just the... the and this is what you've got to decide. How much of my attention am I going to give to those voices? See, that's what Pilate had to decide. How much of my life, how much of my energy, how much of my thought am I going to give to those voices? Now, of course, initially you're going to give some because you're human. And everybody can, can be a little bit intimidated. But, but then you've got to decide, on what basis do I not think about that anymore? And here's the basis. Here's the biblical basis. God's authority. What you've got to realize is that no matter how many people are thinking something and no matter how loud they're saying something, if you're a child of God, no one has authority over you that God has not given them. No human power will ever do you any damage because God himself superintends that power for your good. You've got to remember that. Let me give you an illustration. When I... Of, 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 of the definition of authority. When I was a, a, a small boy, we had a, we had a lot of uh, uh, kids in the neighborhood. We played around all the time. We had a, kind of a neighborhood gang. And there was a very scary guy that lived in our neighborhood. His name was Mr. Kurtzman. He was scary because he had huge muscles. He was a bricklayer, you know? And back in that day, we didn't, you know, we didn't have trucks. We just carried a whole load around here. And, and so he had huge arms. And I never saw this guy smile his whole life, ever. Never saw him smile. And so he was this menacing presence in the neighborhood. Well, one day we were playing in his backyard because he had two boys, Buddy and Danny. Loved the boys. Great friends. And we were playing, and we were probably up to no good. We were always up to no good. <clears throat> and out comes Mr. Kurtzman with this, with this menacing grimace on his face. And he just looks around. I mean, you could just feel his presence. And he, he spotted me. <laughs> and I was looking right at him. He said, Joey Hunter, if I see you do that again, I'm going to spank you, boy. Well, <laughs> I was absolutely petrified. I thought to myself, if that guy ever spanked me, I wouldn't have a rear left. <laughs> I mean, my rear would be on the West Coast somewhere. He was just so strong. I was petrified, and I ran home. I ran into the house, and I was shaking. And my mother said, what's wrong with you? I said, Mr. Kurtzman said he's going to spank me. And my mother reared up. <laughs> you ever see somebody rear up? My mother reared up, all 90 pounds of her. 
But that was 90 pounds you never wanted to mess with. And she reared up and she said, Joey, nobody can touch you but what they got to come through me. Nobody can harm you. If Joe Kurtzman even comes close to you, I'll have his fanny in the, in the jail so fast to make your head spin. Nobody can touch you, but they got to come through me. I felt immediately safe, immediately safe, because I knew that if any harm did come, she ever did hand me over to somebody to swap me because I needed it. So I knew that I wouldn't be harmed. I might be hurt, but I'd never be harmed. Because my mom was in control. Let me tell you something great about your Heavenly Father. If you are a Christian, nobody can come to you that doesn't have to come through Him. And no harm will ever come to you. Any hurt that comes to you is only for the purpose of getting you in the position of where you need to be to fulfill your purpose in this life. You're under God's protection because God has the authority. God doesn't just have power. He has authority. And no one has authority but God in this world. So that's one of the ways that you just got to, you got to kind of not be afraid, at least in your thinking. But what about your emotions? Because your emotions don't always obey your thinking, do they? So there's another kind of decision. It's a decision of courage. Because you're going to be given the choice again and again and again. Do I do the right thing? Or do I stay safe? Christians will always participate, hopefully, in politics. Should we participate in politics? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if we withdraw, what voice does the kingdom have? Every time you can vote, you vote. Every time you can do this world good through that medium, you do it. It's absolutely, but you've got to realize the limitations of politics. Politics will never really change the world. I came to that conclusion years ago. You don't change the world by changing policy. And even though we are mandated to do the world the best good we can by voting the way we believe God wants us to vote, that still only makes policy, and policy only applies to behavior. The world doesn't change unless hearts get changed. The world doesn't change unless individual by individual by individual we help one another out, we serve, and the light of Christ is shown in this world. You've got way more power than any election has, any election. And so here's what you've got to decide. Am I going to stay safe or am I going to do my work? Look at what it says in verse 12. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man, you are no friend to Caesar. What they did is they just pushed his fright button. Just pushed it. Because he was afraid of nobody more than he was afraid of Caesar. And it says, everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Pilate therefore heard these words. He brought Jesus out and set him down on the judgment seat. By the way, as you read through this, I want you to notice how many times God puts eternal truth into pagans' mouths and they have no idea of the truth they're speaking. When the soldiers said, Hail, King of the Jews! They said it in mockery. They didn't realize they were speaking eternal revelation. When, when the Jews said, He says He's the Son of God! 
They said it in disbelief. They didn't realize they were speaking the most profound of eternal truths. And here, where does Pilate put Jesus? On the seat of judgment. Where does he sit today? On the seat of judgment. See, when you die, there's going to be two judgments. There's going to be the judgment of sin. And those of you who are in Jesus Christ will not undergo that judgment. You will bypass that judgment. Why? Because Jesus had paid for all your sins. His sacrifice has wiped your sin away. There's nothing spiritually to judge. The second judgment that Jesus is on this Bema seat for is the judgment of works. All of us will undergo the judgment of works. When God looks at us and says, what did you do with the life I gave you? That's the one I want to talk about. What are you going to feel like on that day? What are you going to feel like on that day? See, there's, there's a choice that you can make, and that is, I'm going to do it no matter whether I'm afraid or not. Let me tell you a story I told a long time ago, and then I'll sit down. But I kept thinking of this story when I thought of this sermon, so I said, oh, I'll just tell that again. It's kind of fun to tell anyhow. Again, when I was a, when I was a young boy, uh, this old neighborhood gang played, played games every night together till it got dark and our mothers called us in. Happened every night. You remember when your mother used to call you in, don't you? There's a great parable there, too. Because every time your mother said, come in, you know why? It's dark. It's not dark. I can see fine. <laughs> and then you'd go in. And about five seconds after you went inside, you turned around and looked at the window, and it was dark, wasn't it? See, you don't know how dark it is when you're in the dark. You don't know how dark it is until you get in the light. And so we were out playing one night before it got dark. We were playing kick the can. Now, I don't know how many of you remember kick the can or how to play it, but kick the can is a variety of hide and go seek. Only when people hide, there's a little can beside the base, beside the tree, a little can, and, and people try to get in and touch base so they can beat the, the person who's it. But when they're running in, if the person can tag them and say, one, two, three, on so-and-so coming in, they got to go to jail. they got to stand around the can until somebody can sneak in, kick it. And when they kick it, everybody can go free. Well, this night we were playing, and it's good. See, we had this guy in our neighborhood, Red Bricker. Some of you know, you've heard me talk about Red Bricker. Red Bricker was the biggest kid in the neighborhood. He's about a foot and a half taller than all of us, about eight feet tall. Fire red hair, fire red hair. Only weighed about 25 pounds. Ec radical ectomorph, you know? Had really bad complexion. Face looked like a pizza. Just, and I think he was mad about that, the whole, his whole child. But you know how it is with a big kid. You gotta, you gotta, you, you gotta, if you're the big, you gotta kind of prove that you're the, you're, it, neighborhoods have pecking orders, like animals do. And so you got to prove when you're the boss. And so, he, so sometimes he was nice, but sometimes he was mean. And he always insisted on being it. He wanted to be it, all-time it. Because when kids came in, when he tagged them, he could wreck them. I mean, that's what he did. He didn't just tag, say, one, two, three, to go. He'd clothesline them, you know? You'd be heading for, you know, you just go down. <laughs> and he'd stand over, you'd go, one, two, three, go to jail. You know, and you'd get, you stand in jail, all hurt and everything. Well, we were playing this night, and, and he was counting, and I saw a hiding place I had never noticed before. 
We were in his backyard. We must have played in his backyard a hundred times. And I hadn't noticed this place before. I had noticed, I had tried to hide behind it, but never in it. It was a huge pine tree. Now, for those of you who have ever tried to go inside a pine tree, you'll know why this is not a good idea. Because pine trees don't just have a branch here and there. Pine trees have hundreds of branches coming out and hundreds of little prickly things coming out from those branches. But I dove under the pine tree and I contorted my body and worked my way up until I was in the pine tree. I was probably only this far from the outside of the foliage. I could see everything perfectly. No one could see me. And the game went on and sure enough, Red Bricker wrecked and jailed every kid coming in. And so here they were all in jail. I was the only one that was left. I was their only hope. <laughs> and the longer Red Bricker couldn't find me, the madder he got. And he started shouting stuff out. Hunter, you better come out. I'm going to hurt you. Well, I wasn't coming out. He'd pace up and down. When I find you, I'm going to get you. You better come out. Well, I kept seeing him pass. He'd pass right before, right before the tree. I just watched him go past. <laughs> and the madder he got, the further away from that can he got. Until he was, he was so mad, he wasn't paying attention to the can anymore. He was just searching all over. And when he got far enough away, I thought to myself, he is so far away. I'm only about 15 yards from that can. I can go shooting out. I can save them. And there's, I can just hear their little voice, save us. Help us. But as, as soon, I'm enjoying this. As soon, you ever notice how you just relive these things? As soon as I would think that, this voice would come in, but he'll kill you if he catches you. <laughs> he'll kill you. You're not that fast. He's so fast. He can be across the yard in two bounds. You just got these little legs that go like, he can get you. And a million times I thought I got to go. And a million times I thought, oh, but you can't. And finally, the mama started coming. Time to come in. And the people in jail just went to their homes. Even Red Bricker had a mom. <laughs> she made him go in. And I stepped out of that tree. And I had two thoughts. One was, I won. But the second immediate thought was, no, I didn't because I didn't help. I didn't even try to help my friends. I just stayed safe. You know what? I have regretted that night all my life. <laughs> I have. I really have. There comes a time in your life when you decide you're not going to let accusation keep you paralyzed with fear any longer. There comes a time in your life when you decide that you're not going to let malice keep you in hiding any longer. There's got to come a time in your life when you decide you're not going to let threats 
keep you immobilized any longer. Because let me tell you something about the future, something I know from experience. The future looks a whole lot different than the present. Things in the present look much more important and much scarier than they really are. And in the future, when, you'll look, when you look back, you'll have one thought on your mind. Did I do what I could have done, or did I play it safe? When we go to that judgment day, we will know the wonderful sovereignty of the lion who became a lamb, who was always the lion, and arranged our efforts to be much more effective than we ever could have asked or dreamed. But our private thoughts will be satisfied only with those times that we got out of safety and we did what was right and we helped those right in front of us. Pray with me. God, help us to focus on the Lord, not the loud. Help us to build up, not tear down. Help us to be healers and not herders. <laughs> Help us, Lord, to take the position that you've given us, the position of a little bit of power inside your great authority, and to use it in ways that will really count for the kingdom. Help us not to concentrate on our own safety, but on others' welfare. And help us, Lord God, when we get to you in that great day to look back and be able to say to ourselves, I laid down my life like Jesus, you laid down yours. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.